0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. Well, uh, I'm glad you're here today, uh, not just because we're obviously glad you're here today, but because we're going to be talking about something that we haven't talked a lot about historically here at this church. Uh, we started a series a couple weeks ago about the end times. It's uh, one that has a lot of people very um, thinking, and, and we have a lot of people, not necessarily this church, but but out there who have a very close eye right now on events that are transpiring around the world, particularly in Russia, and Europe, and the Middle East. There are a whole lot of people who have their eye on technology and how fast it is changing and how all-encompassing it's becoming. There's a lot of people who are taking note of the magnitude and frequency of natural disaster. And it's th- these kind of things aren't just happening in religious circles. Um, if you look out there, there's never been more apocalyptic movies. There's never been more apocalyptic Books. There's never been more apocalyptic video games or predictions out there. It's as if humanity on a global scale is sensing that there's something coming, something that is going to change history as we know it. And one of the reasons that a lot of people, as they think about these things, have a lot of anxiety is that whether it's in religious circles or not religious circles, when people think about the end times, they often associate the end times with a big battle, a big war between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And that's certainly true in the Christian narrative. If the Bible is accurate, there's a place to write this in your notes, if the Bible is accurate... In the last days, an unholy alliance will wage war against the kingdom of God. Now, when I was in junior high, I, uh, I played the role of the tin man in Wizard of Oz. All right, this is going somewhere. Here, here I am in all of my silver glory. Check that out, huh? All right, well, yes, that's, that's, I don't know if Laura's ever seen these pictures before. Um, On our way to see the wonderful wizard in all of his splendor, my friends and I had to pass through some scary woods. And those scary woods were filled with nefarious characters like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Here's why I say all this. Now that that was all just make-believe. That was all just make-believe. But as history unfolds, As we draw near to our final destination, Scripture reveals that we are going to encounter characters that are far more nefarious than anything that we encountered in our little fellowship of the ruby slippers. As the day of the Lord draws near, there will be antichrists and dragons and beasts. Oh, my. Yes. And that's not all. The Bible speaks of false prophets and false teachers and a shadowy figure... Known as the man of lawlessness. Oh, we have theme music. And we got Hello there. Hello. Batman! What are you doing here? I heard you talking about the man of lawlessness. And I'm here to <laughs> save today. And you are going with that theme music there? Yeah? You wrote the All right. You, you, you said you're going to save the day. What are you t- Save the day from who? What, what are you talking about? I'm going to battering hang the Joker. The Joker? Yeah. Man of lawlessness. Oh. Unless you were talking about the Penguin or pain. I'll take him all on. You know why? Because I'm Batman. Oh, well, <laughs> there seems to be some misunderstanding. When we're talking about the man of lawlessness, we weren't talking about the Joker. We're talking about some of these characters in the end times, like the Antichrist, like the beast, like a dragon. A dragon? <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Go back to Asgard! <laughs> <sighs> Did somebody say dragon? <laughs> hey, hey, Thor, okay, chill. I see dragon on that table over there. Oh, no, 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 Thor, 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 that dragon is just a prop. Just a prop. We weren't talking about that kind of dragon. <laughs> Do not mock me, Defender of Gotham. You're doing a pretty good job that yourself without your dragon hunting. Yeah. Thor of the Rings. Did you just call him Thor of the Rings? Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, we're getting way off track here. I, when, when we're talking about these things, I was talking about some nefarious characters. Like Loki. No. He beats Dr. Selfie. Finally. No, not like Dr. Selfie, not like Loki. Oh, he beats Superman. Hey, everybody, watch me battle the fairy Superman in theaters March 25th. Ha! Tell them why you moved the date from May 6th. Do you really think you can defeat a mighty Avenger in the box office by moving your puny movie to a different weekend? Hey, look at distraction. Ugh, I made a frost giant. A frost giant? Where? Over by the sound booth. Cha! Ja! Uh-huh. Lori's is so gullible. I'd never fall for something like that. You know why? Cause I'm Batman. Yeah, you would never fall for something like that. No. Ever. Uh-uh. Cause you're Batman. Yes. Batman, is that the Riddler riding off in your Batmobile? Uh-oh, gotta go. He's always been jelly in my sweet ride. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Well, kids of all ages, kids of all ages, were Batman and Thor a little bit confused about these end time characters? They were a little, of course, yes. They were a little bit confused. There's a book that tells us the truth about these end time characters. There's a lot of speculation out there, but there's a book that tells us the truth. Kids, what book of all ages? What book is that Bible? What book is that? What's the name of that book? The Bible, yes. Yes. Uh, on your, in your green note page, in your green note page, I, I, I wrote down a bunch of references. And what I would encourage all of us to do is to become familiar with some of these end-time characters that people are talking about. What does the scripture actually say? So I put some references there for you to take a look at. What they do together is they provide a, a profile of this alliance this, of, of unholy characters that are literally hell-bent on opposing the spread of the gospel. And they've been at it a long, long time. They're getting really good at what they, do, what they do. Perhaps the most vivid example of this alliance was at work in the Roman Empire. The Romans, they demanded allegiance and worship that belongs to God alone. They forced people to buy and sell with coins that bore blasphemous slogans and images. The beastly number, 666, can be attributed to a Roman emperor named Nero who persecuted Christians. He had Paul and Peter put to death. In the year 70 AD, the Romans laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And what they did was so horrific. The things that were happening there were so horrific, we can't talk about them with the kids present. What we can say, though, is that they destroyed the temple. So we've seen in the past this holy unholy alliance coming together and doing just horrific things. And according to Jesus and other New Testament authors, these are just the beginnings of birth pangs. We're going to see more and more of these things before Jesus returns and makes all things right. Can we go to the next? Oh, here we got it up here, this slide. Look at this. These are some of the things that we can expect that have happened, will continue to happen um, in these last days. Believers will be persecuted. The Bible uses, well, we translate the word into tribulations. There will be tribulations. Many will be deceived. People will reject sound doctrine. And look at this one. Believers will shipwreck their own faith, it says. Believers will shipwreck their own faith and will abandon it. Well, the title of this series is, Are We There Yet? And when it comes to some of these characters that we've been talking about here, the answer is yes. Yes. When it comes to these characters, are we there yet? Yeah, they're here. They're here. Um, in fact, I would encourage you to write this down. Um, this is straight out of the scriptures. 1 John 2.18 says that antichrists are already here. They're already here. In 1982, a spooky movie was released called Poltergeist. And one of the spookiest scenes in that spooky movie was this one. There was a little girl, and she's looking at this TV, and what does she say? There. They're here. Well, when it comes to, this was just make-believe, but when it comes to these figures, the scripture says they're here. The Antichrist are here. They're real and they're here. This is right out of, again, the scriptures, first john 2 18. Um, we're going to take a look if you have your bibles let's open up to it if not i want to let you know we have bibles here uh they're a gift for you we keep them at this table there and at the back they're there Uh, please take one if you don't have a bible at home now i want to say something quickly about the author the author is a man named john he's one of the original 12 disciples of jesus he's the author of five books of the bible including the gospel of john and the book of revelation so when it comes to end times Does this guy know what he's talking about? Yeah. All right? So there's a little bit of the off. This guy, if anyone knows about end times, it's him. And here's what he says. 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists, what? Have come. John writes that many Antichrists, plural, have come past tense. And as they grow in numbers and influence, Christians will be called upon to respond and to respond well. Now, our time on Sundays is so limited, so limited. So what we're gonna do with the time we have is zero in on two things that the Bible says about antichrists, and then we'll discuss our response. So here's one of the things that the scripture says about Antichrist. Antichrist, one of the ways you know them and what they're doing, Antichrist deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's one of these um, signs of the Antichrist. They will deny that Jesus is the Christ. Let's take a look quickly at the reference there together. 1 John 2, 22. I'm just reading out of the scriptures. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the what? The Christ. This is the Antichrist. So, what is an Antichrist? Well, here's one of the things it says. Who denies Jesus the Christ? The Antichrist. And one of the reasons I find this so unnerving is that this is a very popular thing. This is all around us. People are spreading this lie. I can't count the number of people who teach that Jesus was just a great man. There's a lot of people teaching that. Or they'll teach he was just a great teacher. There's a lot of people saying that about Jesus. He was just a great teacher. And there's a lot of others who are saying he was just a really good do-gooder. That's who Jesus was, a really good do-gooder. But that's as far as they go. And there's individuals who call themselves Christians who are teaching that. There are churches that are teaching that. There are universities that were founded by Christians that are teaching that, teaching these things. And as I was rereading the scriptures about the end times, And I was reading about how the Antichrist, he's going to persecute, the capital A, the one final Antichrist, he's going to persecute people who won't bow to him and won't worship him. My mind went to, okay, well, why in the world would he say anything good about Jesus? Why would the spirit that fuels that Antichrist get anyone to say anything good? Why would they say he's a good teacher? Why would they say he's a good man? Why would they say he's a really good do-gooder? Why would they say anything good about him? Well, as soon as I asked that question in my head, the answer came to my head, If you can do that, if you can say Jesus was a good teacher, good man, good do-gooder, then his teaching is on the same level as the other good men and women, as the other good teachers, as the other good do-gooders. And if you can put Jesus on the same level as everyone else, then you can say that his teachings carry the same weight as everyone else. Jesus didn't see himself that way. He didn't see his teachings that way. And that's certainly not what his disciples believed about Jesus of Nazareth. They believed that Jesus was the son of David, whose life and death and resurrection was spoken of by the prophets. They believed that Jesus was the savior of the world. That's what they believed about him, that he defeated death in the grave. They believed that Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they said he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's what Jesus believed about himself. That's what his disciples believed about him. Every one of the New Testament authors, without exception, believed Jesus was the Christ. That's what they said. Every one of them believed Jesus was the Christ. Now, last week, I'll show you an example here. Last week, Brandon took us into 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go back there for just a minute. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what it says in verse 1. Paul is going to frame everything that's going to follow here. Here's what, how he frames it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. He says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, by which you're being saved if you hold fast. Now, this is important. Originally, I was just gonna leave this out. This is so important. Paul says, Remember, this is the gospel, not, not some other gospel. What am I gonna talk to you about right now? This is the gospel. This, what I'm talking to you about now, this is the good news. He says, This is the truth that will save you if you what? If you hold fast to it, all right? So he's, he's framing this thing with some great passion, great purpose, and then he says this. In the very next verse, he says, for I deliver to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then what he does if you have your bibles open you can see he goes witness after witness after witness he presents this as a historical fact and he said here are these people you don't believe me you talk to these 500 plus people did paul believe that jesus died and rose again did he believe it yes he believed jesus really did now you can call him right or wrong, but he believed it. He believed Jesus really did die and rise again. Did Paul really believe that Jesus' death and resurrection fulfilled the ancient prophecies about the Messiah? Yes, he did. He said this is according to the scriptures. He believed that. Did Paul believe that Jesus was the Christ? That he was more than just a good teacher, a good man? Yes, he believed that. In fact, he goes on to say this, picking about verse 14. If Christ, look at, listen to this. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is what, in vain. So if Jesus isn't the Christ, if someone's preaching, it is in vain, and your faith is in vain. He says this. He goes, we are. If if, if we're preaching this gospel, this false gospel, we are found to be mis. Representing God. If what we're telling you is not the truth, if Jesus really didn't die, if He really didn't rise again, if this is not in accordance with the scriptures, then we are misrepresenting God. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And then look at what that says. If Christ hasn't been raised, you're still in your what? Sins. If Christ, Jesus isn't the Christ, Paul says. We are misrepresenting God, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are in your sins. That brings us to our next talk point. I encourage you to write this down. Antichrist will minimize the significance of sin. They'll minimize it. They'll paint it as it's not that big of a deal. And I intentionally put those scriptures down there because I would. fact-check me on this stuff. Please do. Please look at those passages. Please look at them in context. I don't want to misrepresent God. In week one of the series, we read that first quote in this list from Matthew. We read that quote from Matthew 24, verses 11 through 12. It's a red letter quote. This is Jesus himself. Jesus is talking about the end times in that passage, and he says, many will come in my name, and many false prophets will arise, and they'll lead many astray. And then he says this, and he says, the lawlessness will be increased. He says, lawlessness will be increased in those end times. Now, I'm going to make a bridge here, a connection. The term antichrist only appears in four verses in the Bible. Only four times. Not in Revelation. They all appear in the writings of, other writings of John in his letters. Four of them appear in this next book, 1 John, this letter. Four, well, three of the four. Three of the four appear in that, that letter, Okay. In that same letter where three of four uses of the term antichrist appear, John picks up on Jesus' teaching about lawlessness. So in that letter with the antichrist, three of the four times, he talks about lawlessness. He, he, he unpacks more about what Jesus was saying when Jesus talked about lawlessness of the end times. These are John's words. I'm just reading the scriptures here. I'm not elaborating. 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices what? Lawlessness. Sin is what? Lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Let no one deceive you. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, the reason I'm just reading from the scriptures and not just saying these words is because they don't sound a lot. Of, they, don't, they, they sound like the words of some ultra-conservative fire and brimstone preacher, right? If you normally heard people talking like that, they'd be, oh, this person, they're one of those. They're one of those fire and brimstone. They're one of those people. But who wrote this? Who wrote this? John, the disciple who Jesus loved, wrote this the same author who under the same inspiration of the Holy Spirit brought us John 3.16. This is the same person. This is not some fiery fire and brimstone person. This is John, the disciple Jesus loved. And look at the connection that he makes here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit between love and righteousness. Should we love one another? Yes, Yes, we should love one another. Thanks for that enthusiastic yes. We should love one another one another if we love someone if we love someone and we see them walking down a dangerous path should we try to say something yeah we should last week in light of all the current events that have been going on and And have so many people just writing so many things and saying so many things and liking and disliking so many things. I just said last week if you're going to represent God, represent Him well. Let me explain a little bit of what I meant by that. And let me start by saying I feel so honored to call you my brothers and sisters in Christ. I feel so honored. I've never been a part of a congregation where this many people are trying so hard to be Christ like. I see it. I see it in you, this Christ-likeness. And as your pastor, I have so little concern that you're out there on social media or in discussions spewing hate. I don't have that concern for you guys, that you're just spewing condemnation and shame and judgment. If, if, if If I felt that this was happening from our congregation, then this message would sound very different. I don't see that in you. I don't see you as judging and condemning and, and all of those things spewing out hate. Here's my concern, and here's why I said what I said last week. If we error as a group, as a congregation, if we fall short of representing God well, it's likely to be more on the side of not speaking the truth in love. Do you hear that? If we error, I think it's, we err on the side of we're trying so hard not to offend people. We're trying so hard not to turn them away from God. We're trying so hard to be kind and compassionate. We're trying so hard to love that we don't say things when we see people going down a dangerous path. Or we don't say, you know, what you're doing is in a disobedience to God's laws. If we error when it comes to misrepresenting God, I think that's where we fall short. When Christians imply through their affirmations or silence that it's okay to disregard God's laws, we distort the gospel. That's strong language, and let me tell you why I use that. Let me show you something I never noticed before. Again, straight out of the scriptures, this is out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses six through 10. And I'm choosing to read out of 2 Thessalonians right now because this is where Paul talks about the man of lawlessness. When Paul talks about the Antichrist, he uses the term the man of lawlessness. So in that book, right before he starts to talk about the man of lawlessness, here's what Paul says. He says, God is just. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes. Now, if we can leave this on the screens for for a couple minutes here. I want to just talk about this. These words are not coming from somebody who is to the right of CCM legend, Carmen. These words are coming from Paul. These words are coming from Paul, the same man who was so about the grace of God that the writings of Paul caused Martin Luther to question whether or not the book of James even belonged in the Bible. So is Paul about grace? Yes. Paul is about grace. Paul is about love. Paul is about radical forgiveness. And that same Paul says, those who do not know God will face judgment. And also those who do not obey the gospel will fall under judgment. Now, I've thanked those of you who said let's do this series before. Let me thank you again because I needed this. I needed this reminder to look at verses like this. Because a lot of times we just marginalize those. Every person in this room knows people who don't know God, don't we? Everybody. Everyone in this room. We're we're not a Bible bubble group. Everybody in this group, we all know people who don't know God. Let me ask you a question. Is it Christ-like to keep the truth from them, or is it anti christ to keep the truth from them. That's what I think too. And that's very convicting for me because there's a whole lot of people who I am not sharing the truth with in my life. And I know that's hard. And then there's this phrase, do not obey the gospel. Do not obey the gospel. This, this, in 46 years, I've never noticed that phrase before. I've never thought of the gospel as an obey or not obey thing. It's more of a, it's, it's the good news. It's a, it's, it's, it's a truth. It's not an obey or not obey. It's just, it's the good news. Jesus died on the cross rose again. Paul says we can obey it. We can disobey it. The gospel. If anyone ever understood the gospel, it's Paul. And Paul refers to the Antichrist as the man of lawlessness, someone who will lead others into disobedience. So let me ask you another question that's equally as challenging to me as the first one. Is it Christ-like to imply that disobedience to God's laws doesn't matter? Is that that Christ-like or is that anti-Christ-like? To just let people live their lives and not speak into it if they're walking in disobedience. All right, let's look at one last passage and then let's respond to this because this was heavy for me. Paul writes in a letter to a co-worker named Titus. We're going to look now at a letter uh, to a guy named Titus. Titus was charged with trying to help a church, this little fledgling church. It was under persecution. It was being affected by false teaching. And Paul writes this to to Titus. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared, and God offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what? Eager to do what is good. These then, these then are the things that you should teach, he says. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. If there's a theme to this letter that Paul writes to Titus, it's that there's an inseparable link between belief and behavior, between God's gift of salvation and our willingness to accept it on God's terms. Not God, I'll accept it if. God, I'll do it if. These are the last days, and the antichrists are already here, so I'd encourage you to write this down and really reflect on this. As antichrists grow in numbers and influence, Christians are called upon to represent Christ and to represent him exceptionally well. And I don't know how we do this if we don't get into the word individually. Don't just listen to people like me. Don't just listen to podcasts. Please go into the scriptures on your own so that you can look and you can say, okay, maybe it says this, but it also says this. And you can go into it and you can compare these different scriptures so that you're not easily misled by something that sounds right but is out of context or only part of the story. We've got to be in the word. We've got to read the words of Jesus himself. We've got to read the words of those who walked with him, who were discipled by him. And we also need to read the Old Testament because those were the scriptures that they looked to. But there's a step that even comes before that one. And that step is, have you ever said to Jesus, you're the Christ? That's the step that comes first, isn't it? Because it's in that step, if he really is the Christ, it's in that step where our sins are forgiven. It's in that step where our mind begins to be renewed. It's in that step where we become temples of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit now is able to open our eyes to these texts and open our minds and open our hearts, where the Spirit's able to do battle against these things that are beyond us. So that's that first step, is to come and say, Jesus, you are the Christ, and I lay down my life before you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Everything that I have comes from you. Everything that I could ever do is, is to be for your glory. So let's take time now with the response to do that to either commit to that for the first time or to recommit to that. and pray that. and then we're going to have a, a time of what we call communion. And we're going to encourage you too to make that time very, very real. And we'll to say more about communion here in just a second. So let's pray this together, and I encourage you to pray this with me out loud. We try to do these words enough so that a lot of us can memorize them, so that it can become a real prayer rather than just reciting words. So please pray these words with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made now what we're about to do when I talk about communion Is we're going to commemorate an event A real event that happened in history And here's where it's recorded One of the places where it talks about this. this is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 It talks about the Lord Jesus On the night in which he was betrayed he took bread And when he had given thanks he broke it And he said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me In the same way he took the cup after supper Saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood Do this as often as you drink it In remembrance of me For as often as you take this bread and drink this cup, look what it says. You proclaim the Lord's death until when? He comes. This is connected to those end of days as well as the age that we're in. So what we try to do is about once a month, we commemorate what could be called the Lord's Supper, what some call the Eucharist, what some call Holy Communion. And the way we do it here is not the right way um, necessarily. What, What it is, though, we try our best to make this something sincere. So that's why we pray those prayers together so that together we're just saying, God, this is where we're at corporately. And then we encourage you to make it individual. So rather than having usher say, now it's time to come forward, what we're going to do here in just a minute, the band will play, a worship band will play an instrumental, and that's an opportunity for you to just reflect on these things, to personalize them, to say, God, what are you saying to me today? And then when the instrumental's over, we'll have our communion service get up. And today, this is like one of the first times we've done it with this configuration here in this room. The communion service will come here. So we encourage you then, after they get into place, to just come forward as the Spirit leads and to participate in communion together. All right, well, let's pray one more prayer here before uh, we enter into that time of reflection. Uh, This is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, please any words that I said that were unnecessarily offensive or unnecessarily alienating Lord would you unto that and would your spirit speak directly to all of us as individuals now speak to our hearts whatever it is that you need to tell us whether it's an affirmation or a conviction Lord we pray that that's what would get through that you would bind all other voices in this room all other voices that have been spoken out there so that we could hear from your spirit here today and respond As you've called us to respond in Jesus' name.